Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 6th. We begin with an update on a busy start to the new year at City Hall. From the collapse of the arena deal to the impact the Omicron variant is having on staffing levels for public servants, we get the latest from Adam McVicker, City Hall reporter for Global News. Calgary and the majority of Alberta remained under an extreme cold warning. For most of us, the bitter cold temperatures are uncomfortable and limit the amount of time we spend outdoors right now. But what if your job requires you to work outside? We get some tips on how to stay safe and warm while working outdoors from occupational health and safety specialist Jan Chappelle. Next, it's the one-year anniversary of the Capitol Hill riot in Washington. We look back at the events that unfolded that historic day and the impact that still resonates today. We speak with Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. And finally, it was a headline-grabbing story over the weekend how a Seattle hockey fan spotted a cancerous mole on the neck of one of the bench coaches for the Vancouver Canucks, which ultimately saved the coach's life, according to doctors. Have you been screened for skin cancer? Our Dave McIver brings us details on how prevalent these types of cancers are and what we can do to help safeguard ourselves. 819 now and business at City Hall has not slowed down in the first week of 2022. With a look at the latest news and how COVID has impacted city staff, we turn to Global News City Hall reporter Adam McVicker. The new year kicking off with more revelations on the collapsing arena deal between the city of Calgary and Flames ownership. December 31st, a key deadline for written notice of construction passed with nothing from either side, meaning the deal officially coming to an end, prompting a response from Premier Jason Kenney, who blamed the city. I I just hope that they can uh, uh, reconsider. Um, and, and get shovels in the ground as soon as possible. In a statement Tuesday, Flames ownership say they do not see a path forward to create a viable partnership with the city, which is needed to make the event center a reality. But on Wednesday, Mayor Jody Gondak saying the city is still committed to an event center and will find other ways to build it. It's time to sit down and understand how new operating models could potentially work in everyone's best interest. City Council will get a briefing on the event center on Tuesday. On the COVID-19 front, rising cases due to Omicron has the city preparing for staffing shortages. City officials say there are between 25 and 50 sick calls from staff daily. Emergency Management Chief Sue Henry says there's concerns of impacts to city services. The sharp rise in cases that we're seeing means more sickness and more absences among our city staff which in turn increases the challenge of maintaining public services. The city postponing winter swim lessons and play school programs until January 10th, and public skate and shinny times are cancelled until further notice at city-operated facilities, with the exception of Village Square and Southland Leisure Centre. The city is also expanding its mobile vaccination clinic. Calgarians are urged to visit the city's website for any and all service impacts. Reporting from City Hall, Adam McVicker, Global News. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there's so much going on. And it's one of those things where in the media and well, in everyday life, if you're paying attention to the news headlines during the past couple of weeks, it would be the doldrums, nothing happening. Not the case as we flip the calendar from 21, uh, 2021 to 2022. And that continues, as you heard in Adam McVicker's report. We have our opportunity as well to speak with Mayor Jyoti Gondek mm-hmm. tomorrow. Lots to cover with the mayor. Correct, and we'll discuss that. There's certainly ongoing discussions about the event center and what can be done and criticisms about the entire situation. So it's not a chat going away anytime soon. Yeah, and I do believe at the heart of the matter, it is a negotiation. Having said that, outside looking in, it looks like this is a game of chicken that the city is 
pulled the trigger on and said, okay, how about that? Enjoy the Saddle Dome. Good luck on your... It seems very cut and dried. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so whether or not that, that is posturing from the city. But the other part of it with, with the mayor, you know, to, to dig into is, you know, at the heart of it, uh, the city, they serve us. They're, you know, uh, public employees. They do great work. We just talked with Chris Magecki from the city uh, but hitting uh, been hit hard with the Omicron variant and so many city employees not able to go to work. So we can tackle that with the mayor as well. Staffing challenges, because at the heart of it, it is a business. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's part of the problem, too, and the issue that people are talking about in terms of the kids going back to school next yeah. week. Staffing challenges. Will there be enough educators? Will there be enough teachers in the classrooms to teach our kids? And we've uh, opened up the text line for folks this morning to talk about how they're feeling about kids, whatever age yours might be, or grandkids going back. Gail says, university is online for three weeks, and these are fully vaccinated students. Why are our kids under 18 heading into school? It's an interesting question, isn't it? When all the yeah. post-secondary, they decided before Christmas they were going to do three weeks online to kind of do a bit of a circuit breaker for the kids heading back. But not here in the city. They announced yesterday and across the province, in fact, that uh, our kids will go back as of Monday. Will there be enough uh, you know, staff in these schools? Will there be enough teachers, administrators? And uh, will there be enough school bus drivers to actually get the kids to school? I guess we'll see. 642 mornings with Sue and Andy here on 770 CHQR. Well, if you work outside during the winter months, staying warm can be challenging and even more so during the extreme cold, extreme cold warnings, majority of the province right now here in Alberta and here in the city. With some tips on working in the extreme cold, we're joined by Jan Chappelle, Senior Technical Specialist with Occupational Health and Safety. Good morning to you, Jan. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for taking the time with us. And I know that, you know, to a certain extent, it's common sense, but we could use all the advice uh, that you can dole out because it is bitterly cold here. Where do we start if we have a shift outside, Jen? Um, Really, there's a couple things you can start with. Um, Number one is to wear layered clothing. Um, That way you can, as you warm up, when you start moving, you can open them a little bit or take a layer off and put them back on as you start to feel chilly. Um, the other thing you can do is <clears throat> employers should use a work rest schedule, so take breaks in a warm area. Um, that's fairly highly recommended. Are there rules and stipulations that employers must give their employees some time to warm up or a place to do it? Um, I actually did actually check the Alberta regulations yesterday. Um, there's nothing specific, um, and in that case, they said, the rule is to always follow best practices and best practices to provide a warm-up, a work warm-up schedule. Okay. You know, and as far as the employers and employees are concerned, what are some of the signs we should be cognizant of that is beyond just feeling cold and uncomfortable, but it could be dangerous to you? Yeah. Um, one of the things they talk about is to watch for the unusual umbles. So if you see people stumbling, <laughs> mumbling, fumbling, grumbling, Grumbling may be a little. <laughs> We're all doing that right now, aren't we? We're already there. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> but okay. The stumbles, mumbles, fumbles. So what happens is, as your body is shivering, it's hard for you to control your fingers and stuff. That's a sign that impaired coordination could be a problem at work. Um, if you're tingling, again, it's your fingers and toes. You might be thinking about frostbite at that point. 
Oof. I can't even imagine what it must be like to work outside in, in conditions like this. So hopefully employers are really on the ball and thinking about their people. Uh, you know, I have noticed something over the Christmas holidays when I was doing my shopping that you can get electric socks now, mm-hmm. uh, electric yeah. gloves and mitts. So maybe ideas like that too are, are things that folks need to start thinking about. Exactly. Providing the right equipment that they need. And that's where the layers come from. If there's a way to block the wind from where the person's working, that will help. Um, a heated shelter will help to give them a nice, dry, warm place to warm up in when they take their break. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a vehicle if you don't have access to a heated shelter. Yeah. Um, what you really want to do, though, is avoid um, getting too sweaty or too damp inside your, your layers. Because we know that once you get damp, you feel even colder. I'm wondering, have you ever heard of any case, Jan, where, you know, we, we've heard that employees have the right to refusal to, to, to co- commit or complete a task if it's too dangerous? Is this something that an employee could, you know, have a, have a case to say, hey, it's minus 43 windchill, I, I will not work in this? It's hard to say because each situation would have to be identified individually, like each situation is unique. Mm-hmm. There may be situations where, you know what, hey, can we wait till tomorrow when it's only... Not so not so cold. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I looked at your forecast; it's going to be plus one, I think, on Sunday. So, um, you know, if, if it can wait a day or two, then that might be a better solution. Um, the the key is to make sure that the employee and the employer talk to each other and mm-hmm. make sure that they they come to a good resolution between themselves. Jan, if somebody has questions, they're working and they think maybe things are, are not quite the way they should be, how do they get in touch? Or is there a website for checking out with occupational health and safety? Um, in Alberta, you would call Alberta Labour. Okay. Um, and I don't know their website. No, nope, that's often. fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. so they would reach out to Alberta Labour and, yeah. and can get their answers there. And they're the ones that would enforce any laws if, okay. if something's amiss. Good to know. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time this morning. You're very, very welcome. Have a great day. That's Jan Chappell, who is Senior Technical Specialist with Occupational Health and Safety. 709 Mornings with Sue and Andy here on 770 CHQR. Hard to believe it was one year ago today. American democracy came under assault as violent rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol building to try and overturn results of the 2020 election. Today, services will commemorate the January 6th attack, and President Joe Biden is expected to directly lay blame for the events of that day on former President Donald Trump. We're joined with more by Global News Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. Um, You know, in the aftermath, Reggie, just how many people were charged after the actions that took place that day? According to the Justice Department and the Attorney General who spoke yesterday, it's roughly 726 or 727 people that have been charged so far. About 160 people have pleaded guilty. But what's worth pointing out here is the FBI uh, still says that there are hundreds, 300, 400 unidentified people that they are still working to try and identify, including a person who dropped off pipe bombs outside the, uh, the Republican and Democratic National Headquarters a year ago last night. So this is a large investigation, the biggest in FBI history, and it's It's not simply going to go away whether Democrats lose power this year or by the time this day comes to an end. Reggie, what else are they investigating other than weaponry and et cetera and the the violence that happened? Is there more to it than that? 
Well, look, there are parallel investigations. The federal investigation is really looking at uh, the people who were involved in the riot, but also the attorney general made uh, very important comments yesterday by saying that the investigation is also looking at people who may not have been at the U.S. Capitol but were otherwise criminally responsible. Does that mean that the investigation is extending further down Pennsylvania Avenue towards the White House? It's still unknown, but it is a possibility. The ongoing political investigations are very focused on what was happening in and around the Oval Office at the time of the attack and the days before and the days after. Ultimately, all of this coming from that ongoing repeated lie over election fraud that started in November of 2020, that is where this investigation's roots lie and just simply branch out. One year later, uh, you know, Donald Trump was expected and reported to have a press conference today. It, It has been canceled. Can you tell us why that is? Well, I mean, look, there's a couple of different reasons to why you're not going to see the former president. Number one, a good number of networks were likely not going to carry these remarks. And this is a man who who really relished being in the public spotlight. And if nobody's carrying those remarks, it's difficult for that message to kind of get out to the key people, notably those within the Republican base. But number two, there were allies and supporters of former President Donald Trump who said, look, if you go up and if you start making comments about January 6th, pushing those uh, the, the information that you believe to be true about election fraud, that could get swept up in the ongoing investigations and simply add fuel to the fire, especially with this Democratic push to try and hold Donald Trump uh, accountable. There are any number of reasons as to why Donald Trump decided not to speak tonight, uh, but ultimately he is going to make these comments. It's just going to be as a part of a rally that's held in Arizona a couple of days down the calendar. Reggie, President Biden is expected to give a speech today warning Americans that peaceful democracy is at risk this one year after the Capitol riot. What more is he expected to talk about? Yeah, and and look, the vice president is speaking uh, right now. Uh, She made a a couple of comments right before we started talking, uh, talking about this assault on on constitutional democracy in the United States, pointing out that there have been three big ones in history, uh, the Pearl Harbor bombing along with September 11th and now the January 6th attack uh, last year. Worth pointing out, Vice President Harris was vice president-elect at the time, but she was a sitting U.S. senator. Joe Biden was also a U.S. senator who spent decades inside the U.S. Capitol. So this is a a moment for the two of them. Vice President, uh, rather President Biden, uh, is going to to ask whether or not this is a country uh, that accepts political violence, whether or not this is a country that should allow for uh, partisan election officials to overturn legally cast ballots. This is a veiled swipe at former President Donald Trump and the ongoing claims that are bogus of election fraud. Uh, And Joe Biden is going to simply say, look, if you don't like the outcome of an election, that doesn't open up a door or provide an avenue for you to attack the government solely because you don't like what that result is. And there is a fear that that kind of thought process could potentially damage elections, whether this year or down the road. Reggie, I mentioned off the top that it, it seems you know surreal that it was a year ago. In some uh, you know respects, it seems like it was a week ago that this insurrection happened. And I'm wondering, as we look back and through any details of the investigation, do we have any fur- further information why there was not proper or enough security outside the Capitol? Or was this a case of uh, we've never seen anything like this before, so the preparation just wasn't in place? 
Yeah, I mean, look, th- through through the investigations and through the testimony from Capitol Hill Police, from Washington Police, from the Secret Service, from the FBI, uh, there were a number of, of critical steps that were missed. There were a number of communication failures that took place. Uh, there was also simply, uh, you know, a, a lack of preparation on the part of what could happen based on what, you know, information had been told by former President Trump over the weeks leading up to January 6th. You know, hindsight, you know, things are always twenty twenty, and that's what we're hearing from Capitol Police, which is why they said today they are in a better shape to protect the building far more than they were last year. Uh, you know, even though we don't see the big security out there right now, we can see helicopters flying right now, but there's no fencing up. Last year, it was simply uh, too many people in too quick of a time for too small of a force uh, inside the U.S. Capitol. That's why they say they've learned from the mistakes. They were deadly mistakes. They were mistakes that will go down in history uh, as a kind of scar on security uh, enforcement in Washington, but ultimately they were able to take a lesson from that and say, look, if this happens again, we will be prepared. Reggie, a bit of a touchy question, but uh, there was, we know the the one Capitol Police officer that was killed died the next day after the insurrection, but I also read there were a number of Capitol officers who took their own lives as a result of what happened a year ago. Do, do we know why? What was behind that? I look, I mean, it's 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 always hard to tell how, you know, the reasons that somebody decides to end their own life. Um, but just from seeing the video, seeing uh, the, the, the experiences of, of officers that are still alive who, who talk about what they went through uh, in the days and, and, and the hours that that attack was taking place, it is, uh, you know, easy to understand how that trauma can okay. just kind of bubble up and rise up into someone uh, and potentially have uh, a devastating or catastrophic uh, outcome. And I think that is why you're seeing such uh, increased services of support for police officers and for lawmakers, because there are people with wounds that are still not healing uh, after a year. So more, sorry, a sense of PTSD then perhaps behind it. Absolutely. And and that's what we've heard from a lot of police officers. I understand. Very interesting. And uh, we will observe it and, uh, you know, see where we go from here. We appreciate the update one year later. Thank you very much, Reggie. Thanks. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Still, it's to me, it seems surreal. A bizarre, a bizarre thing that happened. You know, and I just read a poll, too, about the number of Americans in general, and Republicans in particular, who've embraced the use of violence to achieve political goals. It just, it seems so bizarre to me. I heard Shay, I wish we could talk about this more. Shay, you're talking to a guest yesterday who said, here in Canada, we get... PO'd when our mm-hmm. party doesn't win, but that's all it turns into, right? In the U.S., it's become so wow. much more when their party, whoever it might be, whichever side, their party doesn't win, and it becomes so much more to them than that. Well, we'll be talking to Shay in about a half hour's time. We can ask him for more details mm-hmm. on that conversation because, as uh, so many times, and I think the cross-cultural, pop-cultural, we we feel akin to our neighbors down to the south. There are distinct differences. Ooh, yeah. And that was one that was highlighted one year ago today. Seven. All right, skin health. It's, it's something that we probably don't pay enough attention to. For example, when is a mole not normal? And who do you see and ask about it? Well, recently, a coach of one of the NHL hockey teams got a life-saving note from a fan in the stands. Tell us all about that situation and really just kind of get into the discussion about cancer screening and, and just making sure that you're checking on your skin and what's going on in your body. We're joined this morning by our on-air contributor, sports guy and morning producer, button pusher this morning, Dave McIver. <laughs> he, he is the jack of all trades. Hi, Dave. Hello. Let's um, tell the story first because I didn't know about this till you told me. 
Yeah, it was uh, a story that kind of went viral over the New Year's long weekend. So it was a story about the home opener, the expansion franchise, first game in Seattle. Um, They're taking on the Vancouver Canucks. And Nadia Popovici sitting behind the Vancouver Canucks bench when they played this game against the Seattle Kraken. um, She's looking at the equipment manager for the Canucks and she's noticing he's got a mole on the back of his neck. His name's Brian, nicknamed Red Hamilton, and she goes immediately, I, I, that that might be skin cancer. I think that's, that's melanoma. So she pulls out her phone, uh, bangs on the glass, uh, catches his attention, and showed him a message that she had typed on her notes app and said basically, hey, look, you have skin cancer on the back of your neck. You need to go get that checked immediately. So following her advice, he goes to the team doctors and they go, yeah, we do not like the looks of that Mm. and ends up getting back to Vancouver, gets it checked out. And sure enough, it's malignant melanoma, a type of skin cancer. So she essentially um, saved his life. He gets on the phone. He gets on the phone with the doctor and the doctor tells him on the same phone call, you have cancer and I'm going to cure you of cancer because luckily he caught it in the early stages. Wow. So she essentially saved his life. And Brian Hamilton talked about it on New Year's Day when this thing kind of all blew up. Well, you know, Jay, she she extended my life. Uh, You know, I I'm I've I've got a wonderful family. I've got I've got a wonderful daughter. And I just think like, you know, I she extended my life. She she saved my life. And it's not the you know, she didn't she didn't take me out of a burning car like the, the big stories. But she took me out of a out of a slow fire. And. The words out of the doctor's mouth were, if I ignored that for four to five years, I wouldn't be here. So um, I didn't know it was there. She pointed it out. How she saw it boggles my mind. It wasn't very big. I wear a jacket. I wear a a radio on the back of my jacket that hooks on so the cords are there. Like, she's a hero. She And and her persistence. And, like, I, I just, I don't know... You know, I wish she was sitting here so that you guys could talk to her about uh, what a great human being she is. Just crazy, talk hey? About having an angel on your side. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know? And the eye to see through. Like, he's got, you there's pictures of him. You can see him on the bench. His collar's pretty, you know, half flipped up. So and, his nickname is Red. Is he very fair? Like, is uh, he yeah, he's, he's got red hair. And yeah. Um, Which is an issue for fair skinned people. 100%. And so, yeah, she just basically, you know, to spot this, to see it through his collar wow. and all the wires, as wow. he talked about, amazing story. And it gets better. Uh, the two NHL teams, the Kraken, the Canucks, they come together. They combine to give Nadia a ten thousand scholarship from for medical school as a thank you. Wow! So was she in med- medical school already? She's been that- accepted to a bunch of different medical schools. So that's why she knew what she was looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and now she's got you know ten thousand dollars to awesome. put towards that. So we were talking, and I was like, well, we. It's I know it's minus twenty six. People probably roll their eyes, right? Yeah. But it's it's an important topic throughout the year. And I chatted with Dr. Susan Pullman yesterday, who's a member of the Canadian Dermatology Dermatology Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a board member, a member of the CDA Sun Awareness Working Group. We talked about the different types of melanoma. There's what we call the non-melanoma types of skin cancer, which are very common. Basal cell carcinoma. One in three Canadians will get basal cell in their lifetime. So very common. It's to Destructive, it's deformative, but not deadly. 
Um, there's also squamous cell carcinoma that falls into that group of non-melanoma skin cancer, and those are more common than the melanoma skin cancer. Melanoma skin cancer, uh, skin cancer of the moles, uh, is the deadliest form of skin cancer. One third of melanomas come from moles we already have. Two thirds of melanomas come from nothing at all. So it's important to be checking your skin. And I tell my patients to look at their skin kind of when they're doing their monthly breast or, or prostate exam to be checking over your skin for, for new moles because a new mole can be a sign of a melanoma. In, in this case, you know, I mean, in, like it sounds cliche, unless you have eyes in the back of your head, something on the back of your neck. And they talk about the skin being the biggest organ of our bodies. How can a lay person, you know, well, check you, you, every you, corner you, of your body? You need to have somebody, who, yeah. a partner, a, a kid, whoever, somebody in your life who will have a look at your back and, you know, but the back of your neck, if that's... Back a, your legs, I don't know. Anything like that. I, I'm very fair-skinned. I have lots of freckles and lots of moles, and I have to get them checked regularly. Yeah. I'm like you, Sue. I'm, you know, I'm fair-skinned as well, and, you know, I try and take care of myself as much as I can in the in the summer and in the winter. Um, and she, like Dr. Pullman even said, like, you know, we should be wearing sunscreen year-round at this point. Oh, for Sure. Especially when there's a high UV mm-hmm. um, and and you got to, you know, really take care of your skin, not just in the summer. Um, I asked her, like, you know, I'm fair skinned. What should I be wearing in terms of sunscreen in the summer? She said, you should never have your shirt off. Mm-hmm. You know, you should. And 30. There's in nothing. Perfect world. Yeah. There, there shouldn't be anything lower than 30 for anybody. But we also chatted about uh, what we should be looking for if we are, you know, noticing spots, new moles on our skin. And I got to be honest, I learned a ton from the answer. So I think an easy way to remember is what we call the ABCDEs of melanoma. So A stands for asymmetry. So looking at your moles and seeing if they're the same on both sides, if they're asymmetrical, that's a sign that it could be skin cancer. B is for border. So the border should be smooth and round and regular if they're jagged or blurred. That's a sign that it could be a skin cancer. C is for color. So multiple colors is a bad sign uh, rather than one color. Diameter. So anything larger than the end of a pencil or six millimeters is concerning. Um, And E is for evolution. So that encompasses any change. So anything that's changing, if it's getting itchy or tender or bleeding, that's something that you should bring um, to your doctor's attention. Another important feature for people it, to know is um, we call it um, the ugly duckling sign. So anything that stands out in the crowd. So if all your moles are, are brown and then you have a big red one, even though the pictures really don't show red as being a color for melanoma, there can be what we call amelanotic melanomas. And so melanomas can be Really, um, they don't have to be black. So it's important to be aware if there's anything that really stands out from the rest of the moles um, that's changing or that just feels uh, a little bit different. Just wild. Be your own advocate, right? 100%. And you like, have to go to your doctor to get a referral to a dermatologist. So it takes a little bit of time. You got to do it. It's so important, right? We, these, it's, it's um, I think, she said 8,000 cases per year, and that's a number that's growing every year as, you know, the sun becomes hotter and hotter and, and hotter. Guys, and guys, as you lose the, the hair on the top of your head, your exactly. skin on your head becomes exactly. more, you know, uh, uh, able to get you know, damage from the sun and then therefore skin anywhere in your body. Yeah. So uh, learned a ton yesterday talking with Dr. Pullman. I think just a great story mm-hmm. um, between Nadia Popovici, the Kraken, the Canucks, and of course, uh, you know, the man she saved, Brian Redhamel. Great reminders.
Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.